Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Service. Are you guys alive and well? Awesome. Man, we had an amazing, amazing time at the men's conference yesterday. And um, man, you come to the parking lot, you see go-karts out there, you go inside, you see a boxing ring, you see um, basketball court. You would not mistake this for a women's conference. Uh, <laughs> let's just say that. And so not only did we have a lot of fun, but man, there was such great teaching, great worship. And man, I just felt like so many of our guys got equipped, powered up, ready to go to not just serve our families better, but to serve Jesus at a greater level. So we're just so grateful for that. Can I get an amen for that? That's a very, very good thing that what God did. So we're going to be continuing our series called The Cloud. I didn't come here to get a weather report, Pastor Chris. Um, <laughs> the reason why we're calling it the cloud is because that represented the presence of God. And so we've just been diving in. What does it look like for us to experience, depend, and really know God in a deeper way? So uh, turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. And as you do that, I want to go into a story. So actually, before that, let me ask you a question. Has anyone in this room ever waited for something longer than they thought? I'm taking that laugh as a kind of like a, a, as an agreement. Um, man, maybe, I mean, I don't know about you, but man, my sinful just nature really comes out when I'm at a restaurant and I'm just so hungry. Baby, it's been 10 minutes. Where's my food? And I don't know why. Like, why does it feel like when you're that, that hungry that you feel like that you're going to die? Um, like, I'm just going to die. You know, I need to eat. It's like, dude, it's only been five hours. I don't know. It feels longer than that. So we've, we've felt that before. Um, I remember a couple years ago um, before our uh, first girl was born, Sayla, um, we, had our, we had our due date, all that. And, but it was about two weeks later um, past our due date, and our daughter, Sayla, still hadn't been born yet. So we're like, hey, it's been a couple days, it's been a week, it's been two weeks. When is this baby going to come, right? And so we just had all these questions. And then finally, out of nowhere, 6 a.m., honey, let's get our bags. My water broke. I'm like, okay. And I'm a rookie. This is my first time. I'm like, I think I know what to expect. I kind of don't know what to expect. So we get there. We're in there for about an hour or so. And then her says, oh, great, her water broke. Go ahead and go home. Like, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> like, I went to the hospital for a reason. No, no, you don't understand. Like, she's not that dilated. So just go home and take a break. Enjoy your life. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we go home, and we're literally at the house for another 12 hours. And after 12 more hours, hey, so I think you guys are ready to go. And so we get there. And so she's in labor for um, 10 hours and still really no progress. So the doctor says, hey, so... I think a really good thing is just walk in the hallway for about a couple hours and let's just see where you're at. I'm thinking a couple hours. I'm thinking like, can you tell her that? Because I don't want to tell her that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to be alive when my daughter is born, okay? And so about 15 minutes, I think that's all she lasted. You know, baby, just take a break. That's cool, right? Long story short, we're like 20 hours in, right? Man, we should probably, God bless my, uh, my wife's heart, but she's like, you know, I want to be as natural as I can in this process. <laughs> you can see where that went. 
So let's just say she took a little something to kind of speed up that process. And 36 hours later, our daughter came into this world. Amen. Right? Thanks, Dad. And so, I mean, from the outside, I'm thinking to myself, man, that was a long, long process. And I couldn't even imagine what my wife was experiencing that whole time. I could feel it when she was squeezing my hand, but I'm sure what she was experiencing was a whole lot greater degree. But here's what I do know. Even though those 36 hours felt like forever, when our daughter was born, we didn't even think about that at all. Wow. Our promise that was in her womb for nine months is finally here. The in-between period, it just became obsolete. I think there's probably a lot of us in this room that are probably in that in-between place right now. Where God has spoken something to you directly and clearly, but the promise still hasn't been fulfilled yet. So God, you told me that you're going to work in my marriage, but it's rough right now. We're still butting heads all the time. God, you promised me that you're going to get me a better job, that you're going to put me in a better job. Why am I still in this place right now? God, I am claiming every promise, everything in your word, but yet every time I go to the doctors, I still have a bad report. What is, what is going on? And if you're not in that in-between right now, don't worry, it's going to get more encouraging than this, what I'm about to say. But you're going to eventually be in an in-between place. You guys tracking with me? So it's not a matter if, of if you're going to be in an in-between place, but it's a matter of when and how we respond to it. And I don't know about you, but when I'm in that in-between place, it can get kind of messy. The middle can get a lot messy. I know for me that when I'm in that in-between place, I'm very much tempted to quit and just bail. And if you're a Christian in this room, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean that you bail on your walk with God, but you bail on the um, expectation that God's going to be doing anything. So maybe you never not uh, come back to church. Maybe you're, maybe you're even in a small group and you're serving on the dream team. Man, that is awesome. But there's just something in your heart that says, no, God works for everybody else except for me. So we just quit in our hearts. I know for myself as well that if I'm not careful when I'm in the in-between place, not only am I tempted to quit, but I'm tempted to question God. God, like, you, you told me this was going to happen. Why hasn't it happened yet? Instead of trusting God, we start testing God. And the, and the last one is that when we're in, when we're in that in-between messy middle, we can question God we can lower expectations, but we can also start making unwise decisions. We start rushing things. We start doing things that we're not supposed to do all because we're in the messy middle. Now, here's, here's the encouraging thing is that even though we're going to go through that in-between, God doesn't want us to stay there. And if anything, um, I can't tell you when it's going to happen, but I can't point out some things what's going to, I think it's going to accelerate the process. But here's what I do know, is that none of us can possess the promise if we avoid the process. 
that God has ordained a process for every single one of us not to have us experience pain, not because he's trying to teach us a lesson, but because there's something that God wants to do in every single one of us. But he can't do unless he takes you through the process, the process through that. No process, no promise. But God's giving you a a process because he doesn't just want to give you something, but he wants to do something inside of you. How many of you know the promises of God aren't necessarily just about what you're going to receive, but who you're becoming in the process? You can look all throughout Scripture. I mean, just everyone that God has used in the Bible, and before the the promise happened, the process had to take place. Not all the time, but a lot of the times, one of the reasons why our promise is taking too long is because we keep avoiding the process. So if we're going to see the promise fulfilled in our lives, we got to buckle down and start the process. Why is the process so hard? I think sometimes it's that because um, I love how uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick uh, put it. He, he said this, that we compare our behind the scenes to everybody's highlight reels. Man, how come whenever they ask God to do something, he just does it. I, I've been asking for a spouse for 10 years. This person, now we never say this, but this person just got saved. I know who they, they were in my small group last year. There's no way, Lord. There is no way. So what can tend to happen is that we think everyone else's faith is a lot easier, more convenient. There's just something more spiritual about them because we're comparing our behind the scenes to their highlight reels. And, and again, when you look at this Bible, this precious word of God, one of the, and this isn't the only reason why I know this is authenticated by Jesus. But man, I don't know about you, but if I'm writing a book, I'm not going to put all my flaws in there. <laughs> like when you look at the scriptures, it's like, man, why are they putting themselves in a bad light? It's because they were real people in a real times, but that didn't negate a real God coming to the rescue. And so... When we, when we allow the process to take place, it's okay not to be okay. I love what Pastor Jackie had to say earlier in worship. It's okay to ask God why. God isn't afraid of our questions. So we can come to the throne boldly and with confidence and say, Lord, why? But here's the thing. When you ask God why, he's not going to let you stay there. He's going to bring you through a process of trusting him and taking those next steps. And some of us, this can be kind of a, um, a tension. It's like, gosh, like I believe in the grace of God. God says, man, he's going to give me grace and I'm just going to overcome it. And here's the thing with grace, though, is that grace doesn't negate the process. <laughs> Don't you wish that sometimes? I know I wish that. God, give me grace. Oh, it's still there. <laughs> That's a magical prayer. That's not a real prayer. Here's the thing. Grace doesn't have you avoid the process, but it empowers you to go through it. And not with your own strength, though. God's going to give you a power, a strength, and a courage, and a peace that is way beyond your understanding, but not so it's just tucked away in our little devotion time, but our grace that we can engage our lives with it. Paul tells us in in, in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verse 12. You You don't have to turn there. 
But Philippians chapter uh, 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God working and willing his good pleasure in you. Grace and works aren't in uh, uh, contrast to one another. They're not, they're, they're, they're not in opposition. P, uh, Paul didn't say work for your salvation. He said to work it out. So, and we're going to be talking about this later, but, but the good news, the Holy Spirit that God's given us, all the promises, it's going to be given to you, but now it's time to work it out. So that's what I want to talk to us today is the promises that God's given us. See, a lot of us, we're stirred right now, and we should be, because we've been tackling the cloud and what it means to really encounter God. But when you have that encounter like Moses did on the mountain, what does this look like when you walk off on Monday morning? So that, that's what I want to tackle today. So Numbers chapter 13, sorry, chapter 14. Now, let me give some context, okay, in, in chapter 14. Moses, who was a leader of God's people in those days, he led them out of Egypt. And when we talk about Egypt in the Bible, that is a symbol for bondage. It is a symbol for slavery. So when you think of Egypt, you, you're going to want to think of being restrained, the place where you don't want to be at all. So God liberated his people from the hands of the Egyptians, and now they're in a place uh, called the wilderness. Now, they weren't supposed to stay in the wilderness. God had called them to go to the promised land where the milk, the honey is. Now, when I read the scriptures, I take that literally. I'm like, oh, milk, honey, bring me to that promised land, Lord. And, man, yeah, it's talking about that, but it's really it's a symbol of prosperity and of what God wants to do in our lives. But they were in the wilderness. Now, check this out. <laughs> I'm not the best with directions, and thank God for my iPhone, because honestly, I would not make it to the next Starbucks, okay? I am just, I am so directionally challenged. And I'm not asking my wife, she will yes and amen that. I'm not just making this up. I'm horrible with directions. And as bad as, I'm, uh, as I am with directions, the, the wilderness to the promised land should have only taken them 11 days. They were circling in the desert for 40 years. Now, I know I can be bad with, with directions, but 40 years? What were you doing for 40 years, especially if there's milk and honey? I would have made it there in eight days, just saying, okay? And so they're in the wilderness. I'm, I'm being so serious right now. They're in the wilderness, and the Scripture says in Hebrews, the reason why they kept missing their destination over and over and over again is because of their unbelief. They kept avoiding the process. Not every time, but some of the times, the reason why we keep going in circles, because there's a track that God has ordained, a process for us to walk through, but if we avoid it, we're going to stay in the wilderness. How many of you know that God's plan for your life does not mean for you just to get out of Egypt, but to enter into the promised land? In God's word, Egypt meant deliverance, but the promised land meant freedom. And God doesn't just, man, God wants to deliver you from the power of sin. And if you are a Christ believer, if you follow Jesus, he's delivered you from sin. But now he wants you to experience it in every area of your life. And so they've been circling around, circling around. Now it's been 40 years. God had to raise up a whole new generation. And now they're literally at the cusp of the promised land. 
And so Joshua sent out uh, uh, 12 spies. Two of them are uh, Joshua, no, sorry, not Joshua, um, Caleb. And they go out, and now they're bringing a report back from the promised land. And the scriptures tell us that there was two different reports, okay? Joshua and Caleb came back, and they said, man, we can do this. We got this. Let's just go in there. God has given us this land. But the other ten men came back. Oh, no, we can't go in there. They're huge. They are giants. We will be devoured in a second if we go in there. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it just so interesting that when God gives us a promise and we're right there and right when we walk in, there's two different reports in our heart. God's saying, you got this, you can do this, I've given it to you. But then you have the enemy just whispering here, you can't do this. You go in there, you're going to be demolished. You're going to be devoured. Don't do it. So Numbers chapter 14, they just received the report. I'm sorry, chapter 13, uh, verse uh, 25. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> verse, uh, ch- chapter, chapter 13, verse 25. After exploring the man for four, uh, exploring the land for forty days, the man the men returned back to Moses. Man, you guys are gonna hate me. We're in chapter fourteen. <laughs> Give me some grace. Give me some grace. <laughs> All right, chapter fourteen. I just want to see if you guys were engaged. Now that we're on the same side, no, I wasn't doing that. I completely messed up. All right, <laughs> chapter fourteen. Then the whole community, they are responding to to the report, okay? The whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we died in Egypt, or even here in this wilderness, they complained. Say to your neighbor, they complained. Say it like you mean it. They complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Let me say that again. Wouldn't it be better for us to remain in Egypt? They're right there at the promised land. They're right there. Literally, they're right there. They've been wandering for 40 years and they're right there. And because of the bad report, what did they start doing? They started complaining. We can't do this. Why did, God, why did God bring us out here? And I think what can happen is that when you look at the word complaint, it can mean two different things. One, it means to murmur. Like, oh, I can't believe. Why is this happening? Why, why did God bring me out here? But you know what it also means? It also means to stay permanently. That God wasn't just saying that their complaining was something they were verbalizing, but it was a choice that they made. That I'm not only complaining about what's happening to me, but I'm going to stay here right now. Here's the thing. When we have the promise and we have a problem before us, we have two options. We can focus on the promise or we can focus on the problem, but you can't do both at the same time. What does that mean? Like, the promise or like the problem. Here's the thing. Whenever there's a problem, there's always going to be a promise. So it's not as if God's saying, I want you to focus on the problem because, sorry, it's not like God is saying God wants you to focus on the uh, promise because there is no problem. 
No, he's saying, I want you to choose what you're going to look at. I'm going to choose what I want your heart to focus in on. Now, I want us to go back. Rudy, if we could go back to, to those verses in uh, chapter 14. When we focus on our problems, not, not the promise, there's three things that I see from this text. One of them is that they had the wrong perspective. When we complain, when we remain in the problem, we start having the wrong perspective. And Rudy, you can go to there. I'm sorry. Complaining will give you the wrong perspective. It was right there. But yet because they were meditating, they knew every little part of what was going wrong. Man, they just dwelt there. How do you know when you have the wrong perspective? Well, are you talking more of the promise or are you talking more of the problem? And if you don't know the answer to that question, ask your family. Ask your spouse if they haven't told you already, <laughs> right? Like, ask your small group, okay? Because they're going to know you the best. What is coming out of your mouth the most? And, and, and here's why this is so important. Because this isn't just like kind of fixing your words like, oh, don't speak the promise. Oh, don't speak the, the problem. Jesus said that the words that we speak, they all flow from our heart. So God doesn't just want to change our words. He wants to change our hearts in the process. So if you keep speaking and speaking the problem, the problem isn't necessarily what's happening to you, around you. The problem is what's happening inside of you. So what God wants to do is he wants to really shape your heart into what's happening with um, the problem. And it really shifts your heart to the promise. That's why getting into the Word of God, this is why we say, almost say every single Sunday, get onto the one-year Bible plan. Because when you are ingesting, when you're getting the Word of God inside of you, you're going to start believing it. And when you start believing it, you're going to start seeing it. And when, when you start seeing it, you're going to start speaking it. So we need to get the Word of God inside of us. So when we complain, when we focus on the problem, we have the wrong perspective. Second, we start casting blame. We start casting blame. If only we had died in Egypt. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? When you remain on the problem and you start complaining, it's only a matter of time where, man, you can either take responsibility or you can take blame, but you can't, you can't do both. And so when we cast blame on others, what we're really saying is, God, why did you do this to me? God, why is this happening to me? And here's probably the most scary part in all these things. is not only do we get the wrong perspective, not only do we start casting blame, but also sin starts becoming appealing to us. Wouldn't it be better for us to return back to Egypt? Wouldn't it be better for me to return back to my addiction wouldn't it be better for me to return back to the things that God has delivered me from? It just doesn't make any sense, right? But that's how much happens when we focus on a problem. It starts doing something in our hearts. And so it's like, gosh, why am I fighting so much temptation? Why has this been such a battle? Maybe you've been focusing on the problem too much. Laura and I have been at Fountain for a little bit over a year and a half now, and it's been an incredible journey. And we've just been so grateful just to be walking with you guys and doing life with you. 
And the process of us getting here, though, was a journey. I mentioned it a couple of times, but um, long story short, man, we prayed and processed for six months. We wanted to make sure it was a God thing, not just a good idea. And so we felt confident. We were ready to go. And, like, and, and we got here. And, man, it was great. And it was amazing. But how many of you know that just because a transition is good doesn't mean transition isn't hard? And so there was things that, man, honestly, we just didn't know that, man, we had to kind of work out. There was things that, man, nothing was wrong, but it was more so God wanted to do a tune-up in our lives. So I remember, oh, man, this, ugh, it, it stung. But I remember we were, we're in bed, we're having some pillow time, you know, conversating, all that stuff. She's like, hey, honey, um, I think it'd be a great idea for us to do some counseling. I'm like, oh, no, you know. You know, you know I'm, I'm, my fit, because I'm an introvert, so I'm processing, you know, and I'm thinking like, yeah, I'm, I'm open to that. But in my mind, I'm thinking like, no. We can't go to counseling. Like, I send people to counseling. Like, we don't go to counseling, you know? I don't believe it, honestly, but it's a knee-jerk reaction. Like, ugh. And so the more I'm processing, I'm allowing God to speak to me. How many of you know that it's so good that when you have a spouse, because if, if you're not hearing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will often talk to your spouse, right? And so I'm like, I think God's speaking to me right now. And what was, what was so good, though, is God started speaking to me. He said, Chris, what are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of what's going to be found out? And I thought, like, you're right. There's some, and here's the crazy part. We've been a counseling a couple times. So this isn't, this isn't new, you know. We believe that every season that we go into, we need people to be always speaking in our lives. Because that's where it gets dangerous. How many of you know that just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you don't need pastoring? Okay, and so we feel like that when we, the moment that we stop being pastored, we've disqualified ourselves of the privilege of pastoring. This little side note. So I eventually said, yes, okay, let's do this, boo. Let's get some counseling. And can I say that two months of counseling was so good. There was so many things that I thought, oh, that, that, that's not a big deal. Man, God spoke into, he redeemed. And you know what started, you know what God spoke to me? He's like, Chris, behind every problem, there's a promise. And so when I thought, gosh, like, oh, no, there's something wrong. There's nothing wrong, but God just wanted to do something deeper and fuller and greater. But I wouldn't have been able to do that if I just saw the problem. So often we avoid the process because we're afraid of what God's going to reveal. And that's so tainted. God isn't a punishing father. He's a good father. So if he has a process for you, it's going to hurt, it's going to sting, but it's going to be so good at the same time. So let me ask you a question. How are you seeing and what are you speaking about your problem right now? Because that's going to determine if you see the promise or not. I believe that the season that God has you in right now, there's a promise behind the problem if you ask God and you see it with him together. Can I get an amen there? So let's, let's dive in into what this looks like, okay? So turn your Bibles to 2 Peter. We're going to be looking at chapter 1. How do we focus on the promise and not the problem? 
Second Peter chapter 1 tells us this, that by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Can we just pause on that for right now? God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us by himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his great, um, and, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. That means that when you said yes to Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit. You received the cloud. That his promises, his presence, his power is inside of you. So you don't have to look for, for where God is. God lives inside of you. And that enables you to live in such a way that honors God and that brings him glory. And so that's something we have to get, uh, we have to get in our hearts and our minds that the living God lives inside of us, which means that we have everything we need for life and for godliness. So that means two things. It's like one, man, th there's a responsibility to that. I don't know what God wants me to do. And gosh, like what? You have everything you need for life and for godliness because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. But it also means that if you have hit a wall, he's, he can get you through it. That because you're in the process, he can help you overcome that. So those promises, his presence, his power is inside of us. How do those things get unlocked? Well, I'm glad that you asked. <laughs> Verse 5 says this. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Man, I didn't get an amen there. Maybe because I said the word effort. <laughs> now, man, I, I am not a Greek scholar. I don't know any of this stuff. But when I looked deep, deep in this language, I looked at every little commentary. And you know what the word effort means? Effort. <laughs> There's no way around it. We have to work out the promises of God. And so it's almost like if God, you know, I'm not a car guy, so I'm not even going to pretend that I have, you know, like, you know, this you can tell right now I'm not a car person right now, okay? So think of, man, help me out, okay? Women too, okay? Shout out the most amazing car out there right now. What's that? Prius? Okay, let's just do Prius. I'm a little biased. Let's just say Ferrari, okay? Let's say I give you the nicest, freshest, most amazing Ferrari. I say, here you go. Here's the car. But I don't give you the keys. Do your thing. Figure it out. Work it out. That car wouldn't be a promise to you. It would be a burden. It'd be right there with you. But because you don't have the thing that unlocks it, it would just be hanging out. And it's the same thing with the promises of God. He's given us everything we need for life and for godliness. But that key is our obedience to the promises of God. How does that work out? We're told in, uh, I'll give you an example. Some of us, we want the promise of peace over anxiety. We live in an in a anxiety-riddled culture right now. Man, and it's like, gosh, I, I feel anxiety almost every single week. There's, I mean, it's just so easy just to be stressed out in our culture, right? If there isn't a reason to be anxious, you're, you're going to find one this week, 
okay? And so what God tells us is that, man, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, bring your petitions to God with thanksgiving. And let the peace of God rule your heart that surpasses all understanding. So I'm going to tell you what doesn't work. What doesn't work is, God, take away all my peace. Sorry, actually, no, don't pray that. Don't pray that. <laughs> God, take away all my anxiety and give me peace. Amen. I'm still feeling anxious. What's up with that? Now, I'm not saying that the simplicity of the prayer isn't the problem. But what I'm saying is that there wasn't any precedent of the promise right there. Where it's like, God, I know that the things that are causing me anxiety aren't real. I know that they're a lie, so I'm going to believe your promise right now. And I'm not going to leave until you shift that into my heart. And so whatever is keeping you from obeying God with your anxiety, you do it anyways. Because that's a form of trust. Jesus said in John chapter 14, those who love me will obey me. That doesn't mean that we prove to God by our works that we love him, but it means that obedience is the highest form of trust. There's a, there's a particular amount of intimacy with God that can only be experienced only through obedience. So if you're like, I can't do this, he's given everything for life and for godliness. Let's work that promise. Maybe there's some purity struggles right now. I can't be pure. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says that Jesus has purchased you with his blood, and now he's given you the Holy Spirit. That your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. Therefore, honor God with your body. I have so many desires, I can't, I can't be pure. Let those desires go to Christ. God, you purchased me with your blood. That's the highest form of value. That means if you're willing to put the highest form of, of the market, your blood, on me, that means I'm so valuable. So I'm not going to devalue myself by giving myself away in that way. Obedience is the highest form of trust. You can't choose how you feel at times, but you can choose who you obey. So even if you don't feel it, you can still obey Jesus in the process. I mentioned this a couple of times, but I don't get tired of saying it. It makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe that's why I like to say it sometimes. But I believe that, man, the church should be a safe place emotionally. So if we can't talk about the horror things, man, we're not the church, I don't feel like. And so for many years, I struggled with pornography. It was something that I kept to myself. I just, God, I just didn't want to talk about. And what made it worse is that I was a Christian. Those things don't go together, right? Or at least they shouldn't. But, that, but that's a lot of people's experience. And so I remember, man, I, I was struggling. That's honestly what kind of kept me away from church. Not because people wouldn't welcome me, but I thought that God just didn't have a place for me. That I, there wasn't a safe place to struggle towards faith. I thought you just had to be Jesus. And so what ended up happening was, man, I got freedom in particular times. I got into a small group. And here's why I got free is because I started confessing it to other guys. And they started encouraging me in that. But there was still some residue in my life where, man, I wasn't struggling as much. But it was still a struggle. 
And it brought guilt. It brought shame. I wanted to forfeit my calling. It's like, who am I, God, that you would call me such a wretched man? I don't, I don't, I don't deserve to minister to people. Get somebody better. Get that highlight person, because I know my behind the scenes. And so I remember one time I had messed up. I looked at something that I shouldn't have, and I was just broken. It was one of those things where I was so thick of my sin, I could literally just puke. I was just so just devastated. And I said, God, I am tired of this sin in my life. You know what God said back to me? No, you're not. That's not the response. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I'm crying, I want to puke. No, you're not. Oh, seriously, God. And so I'm like, God, you got to explain this to me. Please. I'm, I'm dying here. He's like, Chris, you're not tired of your sin. You're tired of not believing that you can't overcome it. And that's what's really sticking to your stomach. Is it not silly the sin itself, but what it's doing to your heart? And so I need you to believe that you can overcome, that I'm more powerful. And I'm not expecting per, uh, perfection, but I am expecting you to obey my word and to go after it. I need you to have a wholehearted commitment to the process. I said, okay, Lord, more tears, more crying. I said, I said okay, Lord. And from that moment, I've been clean. And I'm not saying that. And you know what? I used to, I, 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 would, I would tell people, it wasn't until probably the last couple of years I, I would mention that part of the story. Because people are like, oh, cool. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect guy. Perfect guy. Like, did you hear the first part of the story? Yeah. Right? But the reason why I struggle to say that part is because it's like, for some things in our lives, God's going to say, done. Over. But a lot of things, he's going to say, keep trusting, keep obeying, work it out. And so I don't tell you to say that you're going to have that same, because there are many things in my life I'm still working out. I may not deal with lust in that way, but i got to deal with insecurity almost every single day. I'm like, God, I don't feel qualified. I don't feel like myself, but I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to do it anyways. Do you realize how much prayer I have to do the night before I preach, okay? Because I have to believe what God says about me. It's not easy. Sometimes I'm, I'm calling, Pastor Matt, you need to encourage me. Wifey, encourage me. I need some love right now because I'm working it out. So I say that to say, like, I want you, I want you to be in my behind the scenes because we all have them. And so in the process of us overcoming our problem into the process. Don't focus on how you feel. Focus on who you're going to obey. And again, don't focus on perfection, but where is my heart in this? So I believe and expect that God is going to free me, deliver me. Is he going to get me to the promised land? Because if you focus on that, that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 2, that Work out your salvation, not because you're awesome, not because you can do it, but because it's God's power working and willing his promise in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. And so God is working and willing that, but you got to give him something to work with. you got to give him something to work with. So how does this work on Monday? What's our next step? We're Church of Next Steps. If you're not sweating, then you're not 
stepping, okay? And so what's our next step? Just one next step today. Join a small group. Join a small group. Okay, how did he pull that one in there? <laughs> There's no way. I got a way, okay? Remember, in numbers, because they had, because they were focusing too much on the problem, they had the wrong perspective, they started to complain, they, they didn't take responsibility, and sin started becoming appealing. How many of you know that when you're possessing the promise of God, when you have the wrong perspective, you need others to give you the right perspective? God doesn't expect you to know and to feel and just to be at your best at all times. So that's why in Ecclesiastes it says two is better than one. And a cord of three can't be easily broken. So God has wired you to be in relationships so that you could have the whole counsel of God before you. And check this out. The reason why we need to sacrifice and invest our time in a small group because people need your perspective too. When God gives you that word tomorrow, when you go through your one-year Bible, when you're reaping through that process, when God gives you that word, he doesn't just give it for you. He gives it for the people in your life. And so you need to be a part of a small group, not just for yourself, but for the people that God's called you to serve. And also, <laughs> a lot of us know this, is that when we, when we need to take responsibility, we need sometimes others to Stir that inside of us in a life-giving way. Hey, I notice that this and this has been happening. Man, can I just lovingly, can I just lovingly say this to you? God has a better way for you. I want to stir you in that way. Can we, can we pray about this? I need that, and you need it too. And so if we're going to get to the promise, we're not supposed to get there alone. We're supposed to do it together. And so join a small group. We're two weeks in, but hey, we got t uh, 10 weeks to go. All right? So let's possess that promise together.